Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone. This is Mike Lewis uh, and uh, Doug Battle with the Fanalytics podcast brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. Doug, as we start this morning, I want to immediately sort of almost derail the conversation and talk a little bit about professional wrestling. You watch any professional wrestling? Wow. Right out the gate. Um, no, I don't. I watched a movie last night that had a wrestling scene in it. Close enough. Uh, Close enough. Yeah. Okay. So the reason why I want to talk about the professional wrestling is yesterday, the WWE had one of their big four events, something called SummerSlam. Now, what's interesting to me about this is, well, look, the the title of the show is Fanalytics. So it's, it's, it's sports plus thinking about what happens on the other end in terms of, you know, how, how, how able are you to build a fan base? So it's, it's kind of a show about marketing in addition to sports. Mm. Now, the WWE is sports entertainment, right? So this is scripted sports. Uh so the WWE has done, a, I think it's an interesting thing to look at as a case study for trying to think about the sports industry and the entertainment aspects. The WWE recently moved for this event, moved from their performance center, so kind of their in-house studio, to I think the Amway Center in Orlando. And they have also, you know, so they've done, a, the, the thing that got them some attention for this one was they, rather than having fans, they had LED screens of the fans. So basically the idea would be that if you're sitting at home watching this, I guess if you're watching this on the computer, I don't know exactly how it works, but if you're watching this on the computer, you then have your camera on and they're projecting an image of you on a screen that is sitting in a seat. So so, so similar to what the NBA is doing? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, but, okay. but uh, you know, maybe just sort of they, they, ref, they, what they call this, they refer to it as the Thunderdome. So they're moving to have this kind of fake live audience. And, and so I, I found this interesting. I, I thought it looked, frankly, I thought it looked terrible, but I think of it as an indicator of where some of this might go, right? Where they're trying to replicate the fan experience, trying to get some sort of community feel within the auditorium. 
the other thing, the other thing about professional wrestling or scripted sports entertainment is that these guys get to control all of the action, which means they get to control the narrative. Um, so it, it ended with, I think, Roman Reigns coming back, one of their former, one of their former stars. Uh, but, but, you know, the reality is, look, they could have brought back Hulk Hogan and, uh, you know, at, at age, what, late 60s and had him been the champion. So they have complete control over the storyline, over the narrative, over the stars. So as that is an introduction, let me very quickly change topics to okay. the real big sports story right now, I, I think, is the NBA playoffs. Now, I know you're watching a yeah. lot of NBA basketball, right? <laughs> yeah, you know I am, and I'm loving it. Uh, my guy, Luca, who I read an article, or I wrote an article about about two weeks ago, um, made a game-winning three-point step-back winner to tie the series with the Clippers. The Mavericks are several men down. The Clippers were highly favored in this series, and it's all tied up, and I feel like... The bubble has been a perfect arena for NBA upsets, which almost never happen in the playoffs um, as far as a series. But Luca is, regardless of what happens, I mean, he's he's proven himself. Um, well, hold of on, course, let, Portland. This is one of the guys I wanted to talk about in particular. So Luca has proven yeah. himself. Has Luca now elevated himself? All right, so the NBA is all about storylines. The NBA playoffs are all about storylines. Is Luca the big storyline right now? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, so where is twenty-one-year-old? Where, where does Luca rate in terms of the? I was going to say the Mount Rushmore, but the current list of NBA stars. You know, this morning, just on social media, I, I actually saw multiple people posting having him in the top five. I mean, they had um, in front of guys like Kawhi and Giannis. Okay, well, let's do a quick, Uh, can we do a quick power ranking then of NBA stars? And and I I look, I think in the the NBA especially, stardom and on-court capability is almost the, the same thing. So what is your power ranking, the top five NBA stars in, I guess, week one, end of week one of the playoffs? Oh, man. Well, first off, we're doing this just for the immediate moment, right? Because if I could build my franchise around anyone, it would be Luca. Yeah, I, I get that. I mean, he's 21 years old, right? I mean, that's that's yeah, that's almost yeah. become so, a... Yeah, I think we were both about to say no-brainer there. Yeah, um, but in this moment, if you disregard the future and all the rest, um, man, I mean, it's hard for me. To, to go with anyone but LeBron at this point. I know he's older and I know, you know, whatever, but he's a guy that if he makes up his mind to win a game and take it over, he just can um, is the bottom line. And, and he's also a great facilitator and he's been that for the Lakers. So um, Dame Lillard for Portland prior to dislocating his finger has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, most 30-plus footers in NBA history this year. Uh, Luka Doncic, to me, I know that he's young and, and or whatnot, but I mean, the guy had like a, he had a triple double with 47 points and a game winning shot last night. 
I mean, that's, I think if LeBron had done that, people would be talking about, you know, he's better than Jordan. Of course, it's it's too early for Luka. You know, he, he hasn't had the longevity, but um, so the, the story, it's hard to argue that it... The story isn't long enough yet. We've we've got a few indications. It's uh Right. It, right. And I think there's kind of a anti European bias with always, him. Always has been, right? That's uh, Yeah. That that that's uh, been in the league forever. Yeah. But it's like if Zion Williamson, for example, had had, had the production in the bubble and in the playoff that uh that Lucas had, the media would would have lost their minds weeks ago. And it's like people are just starting to talk about Luca, and he's been doing this. I mean, he's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I think he's the f- future face of the league. And I don't think that's like how the league would have drawn it up. I think they'd rather have a Zion. But it is what it is. I mean, the kid is all-time an all-time great already, let, and he's 21 years old. Let me uh, make a parallel to come back where I started this and framing it. So one of the things about regular sports versus sports entertainment is, you know, sometimes when I watch – and look, sometimes, I, you know, let's be honest here. It seems like the NBA is very much the star-driven league, right, where it almost seems like it's not far enough away from the WWE as we would like it. Right where it's like hey, Jordan wasn't going to lose any of those NBA championships, and, and again, may, maybe that's any of the finals. Maybe that's not fair, but it definitely seems that way, doesn't it? Uh, I'm going to agree to disagree on this one. Okay, <laughs> I'm uh, yeah. I I think it's I think it's further removed from the WWE uh, than you do. Okay, that's fair. You know, it's um we can sort of we we can definitely agree to disagree on that. It's um. And you definitely, probably, I can definitely imagine myself warping myself with some of my um, some of my biases in terms of the perspective that I come up with this in terms of like almost always sort of looking back and seeing how the the storylines developed. I mean, so look, I, I can't help it when I see Luka Doncic and I see the explosion of interest over the weekend after hitting that shot, and and look, they directly went to. I saw multiple people directly compare it to Jordan's shot over Elo, which was highlighted in uh, what was the name of that documentary again? The uh, The Last Dance. The Last Dance. That you know, it it does seem like he is, and I agree with you 100. If you're building a team, then this 21 year old who actually has a lot of deep experience playing for European championships is definitely the guy to right. go. He seems like the top the top prospect for the future. But it seems like his story is rapidly almost overshadowing everything else. Now, very quickly, I think, you know, let's say they, do you think they're going to win the, do you think the Mavs are going to win the series? I don't. I think it's going to be a Jordan versus the Celtics when he was a youngster um, and kind of woke the world up to the fact that it was about to be his league but didn't quite win the series. I think... The Mavs, I mean, they're they're without quite a few guys, and it's just hard to imagine them them winning another two against a, a veteran led team like the Clippers. And to be honest with you, that's exactly how I kind of feel too. It it almost feels a little bit like okay, so this is sort of uh, marketing conspiracy theory uh, morning on the podcast that it's almost like a little bit of test marketing. So we put him out there, blow blow up some publicity, but it's not his turn yet. 
Um, but definitely, you know, going down the, I mean, when you mentioned your, 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 uh, your top five, which I'm not done with, by the way. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah. I think you are on three, three players so yeah. far Yeah, yeah. that, uh, he, he does seem to be the heir apparent and, but, but, and this is why I come back to like the idea of like the WWE. It's almost like we're, he's moving up the card in some ways before he gets the, the limelight uh, a year or two from now. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think um, at, at the same time, though, the Mavericks could easily, if anyone watched that game one of this series and they lost, they could easily be up 3-1 right now. So they legitimately have outplayed the Clippers, and I feel like the majority of three games out of four in this series so far. Um, so, I mean, crazier things have happened. It's just... With like Przingis is out at the moment, for example, uh, Willie College Stein's been out. Um, they've got a handful of guys out. It's just it's going to be tough for them. But I, I mean, I see what you're saying. It it can certainly feel like test marketing with with Luca and trying to kind of like put him on. If if we were going to rig this thing, it would be a great time to put him on the map as as you know to build excitement around the future of the league and not just LeBron right now. And then after this first round focus more on the present, which is well, LeBron and Anthony Davis. Well, let's say this. I mean, in some ways, this is what the NBA is really good at is, you know, it, and again, to come back to professional wrestling, they're not scripting the outcome, but the NBA is very good at reacting, sort of picking yeah. up the signals from what's happening, from the media coverage, from the fan reaction, and starting to sort of build the emphasis around what the what the folks seem to like. Okay, so back to your power, your power five. Power five, yeah. Um, all right, so next on my list, and this is, again, this is for this moment in time, like basically this week, power five, uh, Donovan Mitchell for the Jazz. He's got the Jazz up 3-1, I believe, on the Denver Nuggets, who are highly favored in that series. Mitchell's averaging 39.5 points per game. Uh, and he's shooting over 50%, over 55% from the field, over 50% from three, and over 95% from the foul line. I mean, dude is playing out of his mind right now. He's another youngster um, that that kind of, for whatever reason, has never had the same hype. Maybe his rookie year when, when he exceeded expectations but since then you know he's not talked about like like some of these younger stars like zion williamson for example um but he's playing out of his mind right now i mean he's playing this is this is a good point his career so give a little bit more of the donovan mitchell backstory because because i i I agree with you it's like some guys get the spotlight on them and, and sometimes it seems to vary kind of arbitrarily yeah, I mean, Donovan Mitchell coming out of Louisville apparently wanted to stay another year in college and was advised to go pro. Um, and there were lots of questions as to whether he was ready or not for the NBA. Um, clearly, I will say, I think the storyline is is as if there wasn't clearly a lot of potential. I remember watching his highlights and thinking this kid could be a phenom in the NBA. Uh, he could be a Russell Westbrook. And he that wasn't the consensus, though. And he came into the league, um, drafted not, you know, not in the top 10. And 13. 
13th, it looks like. Yeah, and just lit it up as as a rookie. uh, I believe he won rookie of the year in a class with with some much more talked-about guys. And that year, I remember that playoff, he had a a big game at one point, and people were talking about, you know, he could be the next big thing. But ever since then, he it seems to me as though he's maintained the same level of performance, but there's not that same excitement when it's not a new entity. Yeah, I would also guess that the Denver market doesn't help a lot. Or sorry, the Utah market, right? Yeah, the Utah market doesn't help a lot with that. Yeah, I think that's right. But he's another guy, again, that's a young guy. In this first round of the playoffs, I mean, the stars of this first round, Jason Tatum uh, for the Celtics, and I, I think he'd be on my list too. I'll just go ahead and put him on there. Um, Donovan Mitchell and Luca. I mean, three of the three of the five right there, yeah. twenty three and under. Good sign for the league. Okay, so, so I think you got one more on yeah. your top five. Ah, uh, <laughs> AD hasn't played the best lately. I mean, I think I I still my prediction's been that he's going to win Finals MVP, but um, I can't put him on there for for this moment in time. <sighs> Nobody on the Sixers, and we can get to that. Absolutely no one on the Sixers. Um, I think the Raptors are playing the best team ball right now, but I don't know if there's any one player. Okay, well let's. Uh, I say. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of time to think because you you just mentioned the other story. Um, yeah, I was really kind of look, looking at the weekend. I was focused on Luca. The other story that I was focused on was the Sixers. So the Sixers were swept by the Celtics. Now I don't, I don't know. Let me let me ask you something. Do the Celtics Sixers rivalry does that mean much to someone your age? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, because you know from the seventies, you know, I mean the the NBA has always had this. Uh, again, there are these superstars in competition with each other. And before it was really magic in Larry, it was almost, you know, Dr. J squaring off with, with Julius Irving squaring off with those two. I remember a computer game on the uh, the Apple II computer where it was Dr. J versus Larry Bird. And you can imagine how that game went. Larry Bird shooting threes, Dr. J doing... Uh, doing dunks using the keyboard as controls. <laughs> but you know, throughout the late 70s and early 80s, the, the 76ers were really one of these marquee brands. Now, obviously, that team has struggled over time. Um, but it's, I think, to older folks, uh, God, I, I want to retract that, but you can leave it. Uh, you know, to, to folks of a certain vintage, Sixers-Celtics is kind of a classic matchup. And so we just had this classic matchup that did not feel much like a classic, right, with uh, the Celtics sweep. And so as a current fan, and it seems like the fallout is going to be substantial, what do you think about the 76ers? I think, and I've been of the opinion, that the day that they drafted Markel Fultz was the day that they absolutely blew it. Um, the, the, the process exploded with the Mark pro- Fultz? The process exploded at that point. I never was on the Fultz train, and I, I understand that he's improved much in Orlando, um, but in a draft with Jason Tatum, my guy, um, drafting Mark L. Fultz, a point guard who at the time um, did not have a jump shot and in, in even a good free throw, Um with the number one pick and trading the pick that drafted Jason Tatum to draft Markel Fultz 
was absolutely devastating to a potential dynasty um, that that was loaded with top five picks year after year after year. And there could be no more painful way for this thing to blow up than getting swept by Jason Tatum and the Celtics (laughs) who absolutely finessed them on draft night. Okay, so let's let's sort of go back in time for just about a minute here. So we alluded to the process. Big idea here was the, and look, I think it's been tremendously influential, right? The 76ers 76ers made a conscious decision to be bad, right? And please correct me, to be bad and load up. Now, their their picks in the, the process, you know, they had some misses in there as well, right? So, um is Okafor still in the league? He's in the league, uh, but he is not the elite center that they projected him to be. I mean, he is he's a bare minimum minutes center for, yeah. I believe, the New Orleans Pelicans. He's a big body, it, it turns out. But, you know, this the, for the, the sports analytics community, going all in on that idea of – and you can almost think about it as uh, sort of the in an era of salary caps and, and drafts, it's almost like this pulsing strategy of we're going to be bad for a while, load up on talent. It's kind of like the small market teams in baseball. You load up on talent, you reach some level, and then you tear it down and you, and you start over again. I guess you could also say that's, that goes all the way back to the, uh, since we were talking a little last dance before, that was the Jerry Krause model, right? In in some ways, of you got to tear down this franchise to rebuild it. Yeah, there, there's certainly the uh, the perception that that's what Krause was doing, and it makes a lot of sense in the NBA because there are teams that are perennial eight seeds, perennial six, seven, eight seeds, um, and it's honestly purgatory in the NBA. You you you're, you're you're stuck. You can't because you're not getting good draft picks, but you're not a legitimate contender ever. And so the better situation for a team, if your goal is to win championships, if your goal is to be a contender and, and legitimately be in the conversation, it would be better to just have a terrible season and then get the next LeBron on your team um, and have him for the foreseeable future than it would be to go and win against some bad teams and then get swept in the playoffs in round one. Yeah, well, you know, you you tell me. I'll put a little bit more detail in the the story you just told, maybe unnecessarily, but you know, you just imagine the scenario where you're just missing the playoffs. You get a couple of good young talents in there. You move to about, you know, su- suddenly you're winning a little bit. You go to 42 to 46 wins, let's say, and you you get into the playoffs and you you lose in the first round, and then you you continue to mature. Maybe you get some more talent, but let's say non non elite talent, and you end up maybe getting into the second round of the playoffs, and your team is winning about fifty games. The question is, does that does that really create long term fan excitement? And I think based on what you said, your your answer is no. To create that true hardcore elite kind of fandom. You got to go, well, how, how far do you have to go? Do you have to win championships? I'd argue in the NBA, you do have to win championships. Yeah. That Getting to the second round of the playoffs, you, you described it as purgatory. I think that's dead on. 
that this uh, you know fans feel some excitement, but it quickly it, it quickly starts to feel like, oh god, we just now lose on a bigger st- stage a month later than we used to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and this is where college sports differ from professional sports because to me, in college sports, success breeds success. And so, for a team like Georgia, who I pull for, and and and. <laughs> You know, when we finally made it to the playoff, it was like, okay, now we're set. We're going to be good for a while because we got the number one recruiting class coming in because they were so impressed with that season. And it it just kind of continued and snowballed. But in the NFL and the NBA, it's like being terrible breeds success. (laughs) And uh, that was was the 76ers uh, approach. And... Um, of course, the league has done things to try to discourage that, such as the the draft lottery. I mean, that's a big reason why they do it that way. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I th- I think it's it's like you said, or like I like I said, and then you said, <laughs> uh, it can be purgatory to be in a situation where you're you're not quite there, but you're not bad enough to get a good draft pick. And in the NBA, where if our if our goal is to win championships and create lifelong fans, um, nothing could be worse as far as achieving that outcome than being that mediocre squad perennially. Oh, okay, so I'm going to let you put on your general manager hat now. You are running yes. the Philadelphia 76ers. Oh, man. What are you going to do? I'm going to go back in time and draft Tatum. Uh, okay. <laughs> create a time. Machine. Short of that. Yeah. I, man, I got to look at their I got to look at their salary situation. I know uh Tobias Harris is a free agent in the summer. Um and, Well, and, not to interrupt you, but uh, are you going to fire the coach this week? Mm, uh you know, I'm not as much of a uh I don't I don't jump on the blame the coach to fix the team bandwagon. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think Brett Brown is a top five coach in the league. I don't think he's a bottom five coach in the league either. You know, it's, I think, I don't know. I think he could be the scapegoat here. I don't think firing him and bringing in some other guy is going to fix it unless they bring in someone who's of the caliber of Nick Nurse or Brad Stevens, um, which, of course, is highly unlikely. Well, and I, I like the way you said some of that, that uh, the the one nice thing about firing the coach is it's easy, right? Yeah, That's- it's easy. And uh, Josh Richardson, by the way, has come out and essentially, who who is a starter for the Sixers, essentially endorsed the idea of firing Brett Brown. Um, so you, you got to get rid of Richardson or Brett Brown or you're going to have a player on your team who's publicly advocated for his... Uh, he, he he advocated for Brown's um, lack of accountability. That those are the words he used. Well, and, and when we're talking more analytically and sort of more theoretically, one of the one of the things I'll keep coming back to, and, and look, we referenced this quite a bit in the last episode of Fanalytics University, where we talked about decision making within organizations. The the idea that human decision makers, human experts have blind spots, that they, they have biases. I think firing the coach, especially firing the coach in the NBA when you've got a core of young talent, and I think we can still say the 76ers talent is relatively young. Yeah. 
I, I didn't mean for this this morning to be a tribute to the Last Dance documentary, but wow, there's a this this idea of an availability bias of the first thing that comes to mind is that well maybe you need a special coach. You know, you got to get rid of Stan Albeck and bring in Doug Collins, and then get rid of Doug Collins and bring in uh, Phil Jackson in order to help this young talent progress. So it ends up being an easy thing, I think, for a general manager to do of kind of kind of pushing things off of oh, I, I just need a different type of guy for this next uh, for this next stage of development for my for my club. Yeah, I would say the coach is the scapegoat more often than the general manager. And I would say, in my opinion, the general manager in professional sports is is more often deserving um, because because of how much is contingent upon talent. And a guy like Brett Brown may have <laughs> fared much more successfully had uh, had his general manager not blown, you know, the draft with Okafor and then the Markel Fultz draft. Uh, those, I mean, that's two big assets that, that they tanked for um, that have been blown over time. And so for coaches to be the scapegoat, and I, I've seen this in the NFL as well, coaches are fired more often than general managers, it seems. Or in the college ranks, coaches more than athletic directors. I mean, oh, no a, doubt. It's a little different, different, but there's definitely a power part of this as well of who's making the decisions. So... Coming back to the 76ers, I don't know, maybe this is unfair, but you know, my perception is they were a real up-and-coming team. They had this, this young talent. I noticed you didn't include any of the Sixers in your power, you know, your, 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 your current crop of elite stars. Where do you put the Sixers guys, the uh, Embiid's and the Simmons, if healthy? Where do you put them in terms of the NBA pecking order? Yeah, I think Joel Embiid's the best center in the NBA right now. Still, and does that make him top ten player? Top fifteen? Top fifteen. Okay. Um, which, by the way, my my number five guy I decided is Jamal Murray for the Denver Nuggets. Um, he's been balling, and he's not talked about enough. And he's he's been a top five player in these playoffs so far, even though his team is down. But anyway, yeah, Embiid's top fifteen. Simmons, to me, I've never. Loved his game. I've never felt like he's the player I would want to build my franchise around. I do understand and I do think he's a phenomenal talent. But in today's NBA, having a guard that can't shoot is limiting, (laughs) Uh, especially with a lot of teams trading threes for twos. And so Ben Simmons, I don't know. I mean, top 20 maybe, top 20 to me. Okay. And so then I guess if you're the general manager, if you're – um. If you're left with a top 15, if the Lakers are going to win a championship with, let's say, guy number one and uh, guy number guy number three or number four, number five perhaps, and your core is built around guy number 15 and guy number 20, well, wh- how do you move forward from that? Do you, do you blow it up again? <laughs> I kind of expect him to. I I expect at least. It seems like purgatory, right? You're you're back to winning 55 games a year. Yeah, and the Sixers, it's it stinks for them because they're so close. You look at last year, a game seven buzzer beater from Kawhi Leonard beat them in the second round of the playoffs, and then they watch Kawhi's team go run the table, win a championship. So they feel like they were that buzzer beater away from. They feel like they essentially lost the NBA Finals on a buzzer beater. 
with this yeah. something close to this unit, although Jimmy Butler was on that team. Uh, and yeah, they, I mean, they've, they've switched around guys to try to make the Simmons and Bede, you know, whether it's Tobias Harris or Jimmy Butler, um, to make that duo work. And they've brought in Al Horford, uh, Josh Richardson. I mean, they, they've had plenty of talent and just have, it hasn't worked. It hasn't been a working formula. And I expect them to at least, I think they'll blow up half of it. I think they'll try to retool their team around either Simmons or Embiid as a centerpiece. I would expect it to be Embiid, um, but I could see a, a major trade, including potentially the Warriors with their number two pick. And I, I know there's some interest for them to uh, trade for a player that can contribute as their championship window um, comes to its end in these coming years to trade for an established player. So they're a team to look out for as far as that goes. Um, but yeah, I think Philly's going to blow it up at least half of it. Sounds fair. So what else is uh, what else is on your mind this week, Doug? Oh man, well, uh, football season is like sneaking up on us, and college football hasn't been, uh, you know, in the conversation lately. It's been a quieter week for college football after some big ones, but I'm on ESPN.com right now, and I got a little notification at the bottom it says the NFL season is less than three weeks away, and it, it's an ad for fantasy football, and I'm just like, what? Like I got my draft coming up. <laughs> Uh, next week, like next Tuesday for, for my fantasy league. And it's just sneaking up on us. But it's like, I guess they're going to do this, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, what's what's the big NFL stories that I'm, in terms of what's being tracked? I mean, what, 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 oddly, is is the biggest NFL story, and this might be unfair, but sort of the most fascinating one, who's going to start for the Patriots in week one? Yeah. And to me, it's never... I've never viewed it as a question. I guess technically, uh, technically it is. But yeah, they they love to talk about that. Uh, Jared Stidham. I mean, I, I, and I guess you know, it's 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 hard to say. You know, what's the, you know, they're they're sort of just looking for stories at the moment. That that one probably has the most sort of appeal in terms of creating a story for television for media. I think. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, the media is loving seeing Tom Brady in a different uniform too and, and kind of talking about what that might be like um, still. That's kind of been a trend all off season, But uh, yeah, th- there were some false positives again with the NFL as far as COVID is concerned. So that's been another storyline. Um, and 77 false positives, right? More positives than guys have said. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the beat goes on in terms of COVID confusion. Yeah, and then... Uh, <laughs> this is maybe not a storyline, but Chase Young for the Washington uh, football team, <laughs> which is funny to say, is continuing to be hyped up by both like like their media and just the national media. And I saw a video last week, and it was him going one-on-one with the offensive lineman, and he just like threw the guy to the ground like a rag doll, essentially. And the tweet was like, Chase Young's going to be a problem in this league. Like, if he's doing this to an NFL guy... And come to find out, you look up the player that he's playing against, and it is an undrafted rookie. So it's like, okay, here's Chase Young against a college offensive lineman from last season doing what we've already seen him do. But anyway, I I don't understand. But the the Washington football team is really building around him as far as, you know, their marketing or, or I guess building anticipation for the season, I guess trying to keep that fan base together. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little, you know, as, as we as we turn the corner to talk about the NFL, I'll, I'll make an observation. 
it's interesting to me because typically this part of the 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 year the NFL has the stage completely to themselves and there is all sorts of all sorts of storylines going on and hype happening maybe it just feels a little bit different because suddenly now in the in the preseason period uh now that you've got the NBA playoffs and major league baseball going on going on as well in in, in the NHL playoffs that yeah, wow is the NFL actually suffering from a relative lack of media attention because yeah. I'm with you this the, the season's three weeks away and typically the NFL owns the entire stage at this moment well typically we're having preseason football right now um, and I keep up with that just as a fantasy football guy to scout out some of those those younger guys and look for the diamond in the rough I think it's kind of fun uh, so typically we're having that and I've always thought those games are completely meaningless but now that we don't have them and it's like I've forgotten that there's even going to be an NFL season. <laughs> so maybe they're more valuable than uh, than I, I originally thought. Well, it'll be interesting and it'll be interesting to see how this uh, how is the NFL season really nears how much media attention is, is directed towards the NBA versus the versus the NFL. Um, OK, so. As we look ahead there, I want to I want to change directions just a little bit at this point in the podcast and I want to do a shout out for something that we're going to be doing this fall. So, you know, everyone listening to this, we this is a podcast built on the idea of digging in and understanding the sports business. Um and that equates mm-hmm. to the way I look at the world as understanding fandom. So this semester, I think in terms of semester, sorry, but this fall, starting with September 14th and going through the middle of October, we are launching a speaker series that I think a lot of the folks listening might have an interest in. It's not a pure sports uh, type of programming, but there's definitely an emphasis on these kind of glamorous industries where there's a lot of consumer passion. So the Emory Marketing Analytics and the Fanalytics Project speaker series will include, um, who do we have, Doug? We got, uh, we got Todd Harris from Skillshot Media. Um, Todd yeah, is an expert on esports. He's a, I will refer to Todd as an evangelist for esports. He's a guy that knows the industry top and down. Uh, Skillshot is an esports production company. And so for those of you coming at this, coming at the world as traditional sports fans, this will be September 14th. Todd will blow your mind talking about the esports industry. Uh, the dramatic growth and all that. Uh, look, it, it's in some ways it's the it's the perfect game for the the COVID nineteen environment, um, but really kind of a dramatic uh, sports story. Yeah, uh, other sports guy we've got is Mohammed Masakwa, my guy from the University of Georgia, former Cleveland Brown, NFL wide receiver, and now. Um, is he, he founder of Vessel, founder of Vessel, uh, Mohammed Masqua speaks on change for those of you that don't know his story. And there's a, there's a good article about it in the player's tribune. Um, uh, had an accident and ended up having a hand amputated as an NFL wide receiver and, and clearly saw some drastic change in his life. And he now speaks 
um, to others in, in a time of change, you know, as far as coronavirus and living in a different America right now, um, no one is better to speak on change than someone that, that had something that was, I guess, his primarily, his primary uh, means of, of income taken away from him and, uh, and has thrived through that and has learned and, and grown through the experience. And so uh, really excited to hear Mo Mass. I'm biased. I'm a, you know, you know, if you listen, you know, I'm a Georgia guy, yeah. uh, but he's, he's an incredible guy. Incredible. Was an incredible athlete. And, uh, and I'm really excited to hear what he has to say. Absolutely. And especially down here in Atlanta, sort of Georgia bulldog country, definitely a beloved local son, let's say. So, and, and Doug's right, truly a remarkable story of taking adverse, adversity, being forced to deal with change, and turning it into something really kind of interesting. And so as this entire world now deals with the disruption of COVID-19, you know, MoMAS has a lot of personal lessons and a lot of really kind of interesting insights and all this. Uh, what, what's the date on MoMAS? September 29th this year, 2020. At 11 a.m. Okay, and then our- and by the way, re- registration is free, but spots are limited. Well, and we'll put a we'll put a link to uh, we'll put a link to the registration on the on the www.fanalytics with Mike Lewis uh, webpage for the podcast episode. Um, and then we're going to finish it up with Jim Dinkins, who's an Emory Goizueta alumni. Jim is the president of Coca Cola North America. And this is where, you know, this is where this this exploration of fandom, where we leave the world of sports and where we enter essentially the real world of business. Uh, Coca-Cola is definitely a brand that has fans in the truest sense of the word. You um, if you ever visit Atlanta, you can visit the the world of Coca-Cola and see all the Coke memorabilia. Fact is, people have been collecting coke signage and coke bottles for literally decades and so in terms of the world of marketing and the world of branding there may be no brand more iconic than coca-cola and so this is a kind of a class so we've got something new with esports. we've got an explicit focus on change with with mohammed masakoy and then we've got uh, a speaker talking about managing fandom for a brand, but really a classic old school brand in Coca-Cola. And uh, Jim Dinkins is on what date, Doug? Yeah, Jim is going to be speaking on October 14th at 11 a.m. as well. Um, so mark your calendars and, and register. Like Mike said, we're going to be posting the link, the registration link on the Fanalytics blog to make it easy for those of our listeners to go ahead and register so you can have a spot. It's free. Please jump in. Okay, and so with that, Doug, I'll give you the last word for this week. Any any last, last thoughts, questions, yes, concerns, last, issues? Last thought. Okay, so we got Boston. The Boston Celtics swept their series, looked phenomenal, played the best basketball they've played, even without Gordon Hayward uh, for the time being. And the Toronto Raptors swept the Brooklyn Nets in their series. And those two play in the next round. I've had that one marked since before the playoffs as the series I'm most looking forward to. Um, two like two really well-coached teams without 
I mean, they have superstars. They have Kyle Lowry and Siakam and, and Tatum and, and Brown, but these teams play team basketball. It feels more like college basketball to me, and I'm really looking forward to that series. That's something to keep an eye on as the NBA continues its playoff run here. Okay, so we'll close it for this week, and since it is football season, how do you want to close it, Doug? You know, you know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say go dogs. Okay, we're out.